Ashley Brock being Diane Palmer's book, Lawman, Chapter 15. Karen could have tried to bluff it out by moving closer with a display of careless welcome, but Sheldon was too sharp for subterfuge to work on him. Instead, Garen did the only thing possible, and the circumstances... He drew a service weapon, snapped its sights on the visitor, and called, FBI, keep your hands working where I can see them. Grace caught her breath as she realized that Garen had recognized this man and considered him a threat. He'd come to the house to ask about adopting one of the kittens in the barn, and Grace had gone out there with him. She remembered him from her childhood. He'd been a substitute teacher at her school. All the children had liked him. Sheldon was moving back to Jacobsville, he told her, and he needed a cat to get rid of mice. Someone had mentioned that they had a new litter, which they did. Grace always had kittens from the barn cat. The man was intelligent and pleasant, just as she remembered him being, but there was something about him that made her uneasy. Something. She was trying to put her finger on it when Garen appeared at the door of the barn. It happened so fast that she didn't realize what she was going on until a prisoner shut her neck and held the sharp edge of a knife to her throat. She knew then why she'd been apprehensive. There was a smell of this man that was individual and chilling. He could see his wrists. She could see his wrists above the thin gloves he wore. His skin was white. She knew who he was now, and that he'd come back to make sure she couldn't identify him. Her mind went back to the past, to the things this animal had done to her. Now she was pregnant, and he seemed eager to rob her of a child in her life. I didn't expect you to identify me, Grier. Sean called to him laughing. I've always kept on the move, one step ahead of the law, but everywhere I go, people are looking for me. Know why? Yes, because of my damned hands. Not wearing gloves would throw Peter off the track. That description you put out on me was too good. I've been on the run since spring. Karen's eyes didn't waver from the subject. This wasn't a new situation for him. Not after six years in the hospital. What do you want? Transportation? Money? I'm through running. The man replied. His arm tied around Grace's little neck, and I pressed hard, cutting the skin. Well, before you get me, I'm going to clear the deck. This, he indicated Grace, is the only one who got away. They said she had amnesia, but when she started identifying me by my hands, I knew she lied about forgetting. She hadn't forgotten a thing. She's pregnant, Karen said thirsty. That's nothing to me, the man said in a moment. I hate children, especially little girls. My stepmother hated me, especially when she found out she couldn't have a child. I went to bed, and she punished me by making me wear frilly dresses. She got my hair long, tied it up with ribbons. She sent me to school like that. His face grew red to him. My father was afraid of her, so he never said a word. Everybody made fun of me, but I grew up. I got bigger than both of them. And I got even, he smiled. I told the cops that a strange man did it, that I ran for help when I saw what he was doing. I cried and cried. Stupid cops. They believed me. Is that why you wear gloves? Garen asked. The pistol still aimed at Because you feel guilty. Showed me wrestling. When I was twelve, I started well, waiting the bed again. It was dark and cold, and all we had was an outhouse, and I was still afraid of the dark. I held it until it was almost light, and I couldn't hold it anymore. I covered it up and went to eat my breakfast. I hoped she wouldn't see it until I went to school. But she went to make up the bed before the bus came and saw where I'd wet it. She was starting a stew for lunch. The water was boiling on the stove. She screamed at me that I was stupid and retarded and she'd make me sorry. She grabbed my arms and ran my hands into the boiling water. Garen grimaced. 
suspects out in here. Told my dad what she done. He said I was a liar because she was a good woman. He said she'd never hurt me. Took me to the doctor and told him that I stuck my hands in boiling water so I could blame my stepmother for it. His voice swelled away. The pain was awful. They gave me an aspirin and put some purple cream on my burned skin. When they healed, the scars covered them. I had to learn to do everything with gloves on so nobody would make fun of me. You killed little girls who done nothing to you, Gracio. You look like her, Smatter. All of you look like her, like my stepmother. I was twelve when she ruined me for life, so I killed twelve girls who look like her, one for each other. Except you lived. He muttered in the I can't let you live. You'll break the chain. Let her go, Karen told her. It's your child she's carrying news in the grinder. He has tightened his arm around her neck so that she gasped. Too bad. She won't live to give birth to it. He shifted his weight. Garen never felt that anguish. The man wasn't bluffing. His fantasy was linked to killing the girls who looked like some other, and this was the end of it. There was no time to call the negotiators to ask for backup. There was no time to do anything except react. Split seconds. He slipped. Grace carotid artery had no power on earth. Would stop him life. Stop her life from bleeding out into the soil of her feet. He pictured those beautiful gray eyes close forever, and his very soul ached. He had to act. Now, Grace called quietly his face like some. Do you remember the day I found you in your front yard? The day we went to see Cooper? Yes, she was. You trust me, baby? Yes, in a voice like soft velvet. You made it a tough smile through her. What's my very life? Okay, then. She knew what he was asking. She saw it in his eyes that he knew he could go either way. She had a chance to live, a slim one. Everything depended on timing. She looked at her husband, shivered, and let the man behind her take her whole weight at his. As her eyes closed and she slumped with a soft groan. The tiny diversion was enough, Grinder. Never missed. He snapped off. Just one shot and watched it penetrate. Sheldon turned his head a fraction to look down at Grace. Grace felt the body behind her jump, even as she felt the warm wetness of blood down her cheek. At the same time, the knife at her throat dropped to the ground, and the kidnapper murderer of children fell dead at her feet. She slumped to the ground, shaking, gasping for breath. The wetness she felt was her own blood, where Sheldon had cut her just as the bullet got him. It was running out quickly for a few seconds. She was terrified that her artery had been nicked, but as she felt for the cut and realized it wasn't the artery, her heart jerked in shaky, unnatural rhythm, and she gasped like a fish out of water. She knew what was happening. She was terrified. Not now. She prayed slowly. Not now. It's too soon. The baby's not ready. She fell onto her side, still trying to hold the skin together to hold the flow of blood. She wore her voices around her followed by signs, but she didn't understand much. She felt her life draining away. She was weightless, buoyant, merging with the air. The clouds of sky Karen raised her in a little cursing, curling her head into her chest. Oh, God, that was close. Are you all right, Grace? Baby, are you all right? He repeated kissing her hair, her cheek feverishly. He was vibrating with the after effects of terror. If he missed... <laughs> okay, she whispered she wasn't, but he looked shaken enough. She could see... You saved me. She made a statement. Thank you. His fingers in her hair were instant as he pressed a quick arm kiss kiss from miles away, girl. He sat with breathless tenderness. Two police cars roared down to the barn, stopped along with an ambulance from Jacksonville General. Cooper Coltrane jumped out of the ambulance and ran to Grace's side, motioned firstly for the paramedics. It's just a nick, Garen said in a forceful, controlled tone. He pushed back his way. Coltrane will look after you, sweetheart. He sits off. You'll be fine. I have to give a statement about what happened. I won't be long. He squeezed her hair warm. Good girl. Yeah, you were very brave.
She couldn't answer him. Didn't matter. He was walking away, sure that she wasn't badly injured, but the culture knew otherwise. Threw out orders to the paramedics as they looked. They still looked at her and put her in the back of the ambulance. Casker had just pulled up. He glanced toward the fall man and the people standing over her, and he started toward them. Culture stepped in front of him. Get your brother and bring him to the hospital as fast as you can. He told Cash, I'm going to call a life flight helicopter and have her transferred immediately to Houston. I have a friend in the cardiology unit, the best surgeon they've got. I'll have him meet me. Her in the emergency room there. Cash was willing, but it's just a cut. He protested, looking at her. No. Coulter took a deep breath and told him the truth. Cash faced on her. Good God, he whispered. I'll get him to the hospital, he promised. Went toward the crime scene. Local police was on the scene along with one of Cash's detectives who was taking Garen's statement about what happened. Cash took Garen by the arm just as Miss Turner came rushing out to see what all the commotion about. You have to come with me to the hospital. Cash told his brother. Right now. I know she's riding. It was an ordeal for her, but I have to wrap this up and call my office. Coulson's calling in a helicopter to fly her to the Houston casting room. Where it got on her neck. Garrett explained certain now that Coulson had lost his mind. Cash took a deep breath. Remember another night of terror when Christian about gains and how married to Joe Dunn. Remember the rush to the hospital and endless hours in the brain room while the doctors fought to save her life. Garrett said gently, Grace has a bad heart valve. It's gone critical. They don't operate very soon. She won't make it. Karen heard the words, but it didn't make sense. Sarah's brother blankly. She has to have open heart surgery. Cash added, that was when the terror hit. He remembered Grace's bad color and lack of injury. Colchin's internal considering the townspeople protecting her. Now, when it was too late, it made sense. Got the blood drain out of his face. Houston. They're taking her to Houston. Yes, I have to go with her. Garrett said through his teeth. Can you call the ace? I can tell him where I'm gone and why. I'll have one of my men do that. I'm going with you to Houston. Thanks. Not necessary. Come on. Cash raced to the hospital with lights and sirens blaring. Garen sat quietly in his seat. Remember another pregnant woman who died. He might lose Grace. Closed his eyes on the shutter. She'd been in his house for months now. Making him apple cakes. Laughing with Miss Turner. Making pillows for the living room. Smiling at him across the dinner table. She never complained about his absences or started arguments or done anything to make him feel guilty. She had to live. Nothing else mattered. Told that to Coltrane. The first thing he said when he met the redhead doctor in the emergency room. Coltrane didn't make sarcasm where he just not going to Houston with you yet, just in case. Garen couldn't manage a reply. He nodded. Grace was white as a sheet. He could see the cover over her jerking with the odd, unsteady rhythm of her heartbeat as he and Coltrane shared the helicopter with the pilot and the EMT. Cash was driving to Houston, most likely with sirens and lights going full tilt, Garen thought. If he held Grace's, he held Grace's hand with culture and motion their progress. An IV drip going into her other arm and oxygen mass over her nose. She remembered painfully an episode just a month ago. She'd been too sick to go with him to a cattleman's associate meeting and dinner. For some reason, Jackie Jones had been there, sat next to Garen. Photographer for the local paper had snapped a shot, showing Garen smiling and leaning toward Jackie. Miss Turner had hidden the paper from Grace, but she was too sharp not to realize the effect of product. The effort to protect her, she found a newspaper and just stared at it. Miss Turner told him she hadn't said a word. She dropped it in the trash and gone on about her business. Karen had been out with the men, moving the bulls out of summer pasture. It was a blazing hot day. Come inside, stripping off his shirt, his damp hair with sweat. And there stood Grace in the hall, her hands folded at her waist. Are you having a 
affair with Jackie? She asked bluntly. He laughed. It was unforgivable, but it was a ridiculous question. Here he was with a very pregnant new wife, living in a town of 2,000. Benevolent gossips. Are you nuts? He asked, grinning at the picture she made in a jade green maternity blouse with white maternity slack. Barbara would go over me and serve me to you on a hot bun. She looked sheepish then, and her eyes had dropped helplessly to his broad, hair-roughened chest in the play of muscles. Her thoughts had been as plain as a statement of desire on her lovely face. With a wicked smile, he tossed his shirt onto the hall table, swept her up in his arms, and kissed her. It was, so, was just such passion that she moaned and clung to him, just as he entertained forbidden thoughts of his easing her down on the floor and doing what he felt like doing to her. The phone rang. It was called from the office about a high-profile case back east. The second... Him slated to go help with it. He only had minutes to pack and get to the airport. He glanced at the gaze with a rueful smile. She smiled back days. When he came back a week later, she was quiet and withdrawn. Miss Turner said she had a long talk with Dr. Coltrane and had depressed her. He asked what about. Miss Miss Turner didn't know. And Grace and the red-headed doctor passed over. It is as if they'd just been discussing labor and Grace was nervous about it. Now, weeks later, Gary knew what they talked about. Grace had risked her life to bring the ch this child into the world. She knew how much Garrett wanted a child and how much he'd have worried if he'd known about her heart. She, so she sworn everybody around her secrecy and she carried the secret, the burden. All these months, she drew her small hand to his mouth and kissed it hungrily. Without missing his eyes and lured his head to hide it, she died. She died. What would he do? How would he go on living without her? And he never even told her what he felt. <laughs> there was a team waiting at the hospital when the helicopter landed. Coltrane had told Garen what would happen when they arrived. They examined her. They scheduled a heart catheterization to see the extent of the damage. Aside on the procedure, there was a heart surgery in Houston. Dr. Franks, who was world famous in his field, he already agreed to take the case. Coltrane had phoned him from Jacksonville. The surgery would take several hours. It was a... Recipe for a nightmare got worse when the surgeon, Dr. Frankson Coltrane, told him what could go wrong. Grace's pregnancy was advanced enough that they could take, they could take the child, but but a C-section or natural childbirth compromised the risk. Dr. Franks made the terse statement that she could never have been allowed to conceive, knowing this condition was already working up to open-heart surgery. Karen had been crushed when he heard that. Coltrane snapped to his defense, informing him that Grace had refused Coltrane permission to tell her husband, and that nobody had expected that Grace could even get pregnant in the first place. Dr. Franks apologized, but Karen was beyond guilt. If he'd only known, he'd kept thinking... That she just told him. Cash came into the waiting room some time later. Karen was in a seat by the window, staring out onto the hospital grounds. People walked along sideway sidewalks, came in and out of buildings. Karen didn't see them. He was remembering his first sight of Grace when she came to his house looking for help with her grandmother. Well, Cash's big hand on his shoulder. What's happening? Cash asked, dropping into a seat beside Karen. He's still wearing his uniform, and a family in the waiting room gave him curious looks. They're doing a heart catheterization, Gary said dully. They don't know which is riskier. To induce labor or do a C-section. She could die before they ever get to the valve. Cash took a deep breath. He knew how his brother felt. He almost lost Dippy in the early days of the relationship. He suddenly remembered when Christina Beldon was shot and almost killed by one of the notorious Clark brothers before he and Tippy had become involved. He'd been crazy about Christina Bell. The anguish of her ordeal grew fresh in his mind as he realized the odds against Grace. If I lose her, Gary told his there isn't anything on earth worth staying for. That isn't what she'd want, Cash replied. She values life. You can see it in the way she fusses over those rose bushes. He bit his lip. 
Oh my grace teaches him about talking to the roses for She didn't help growing things. Did you call Zach about the shooting? Karen asked him. Yes. He said some of the guys will be up tonight to sit with you. Karen only nodded. Forgotten how close knit you guys are, he remarked. Most of my life I worked alone. Or with a spotter. That's not the case now, is he? Karen asked. Cash chuckled. Now when the city fathers threatened to fire two of my officers because they arrested a drunk politician, the whole police and fire department threatened to resign if I got the boot. It was a life-changing moment. Suddenly, I went from being an outsider in Jacobsville to being part of a big family. I like it. Karen felt some of the closeness when he first became obsessed with Grace. So quickly it had ended when he savaged her and pushed her aside. He was never going to get over the way he treated her, especially now that he knew the whole truth. If they darted and feathered family, I guess I'd qualify. Told the other man, she went a long weary breath. I didn't know she had a bad heart. Kept pushing her to go to college and learn to trade to live up to her potential. She told me she just couldn't manage a high-stress job. It never occurred to me that it could be because of a health problem. I just thought she needed more time, more than high school to cope in the modern world. That's casual. Then I took her to work with me, left her in the waiting room. When I came back, she was happily chatting away in Arabic. The Jordina murder witness, translating for him. She speaks several languages. He had a pattern of cash I don't suppose she told you that she belongs to Menza. He's in dead breath was like, Menza was an organization who members had extremely high intelligence, quotients far higher than the average college graduate. He nodded. You know, Marquise mentioned it. He had a flaming crush on her when he was younger, but he intelligently intimidated him. But her intelligence intimidated him. She has a photographic memory, and there's a secret project that she's been working on all year that just hit big time. That's what Garrett. It looked as if he'd been hit in the face with a pie. She didn't tell you? Garrett's Anna. Why do you know more about my wife than I do? Because, because, because Barbara likes me. Yeah, besides, my God, Barbara, I didn't call her. Relax, I called her. She's getting together a prayer group tonight. And years passed when he was still hating God for her. And Aaliyah Garen would have scuffed at the idea. But now, with Grace Precious life hanging by a thread, he only nodded gratefully. Garrett stood up and went to the phone. He pushed the buttons that would connect him to the chaplain's office. They offered help if he needed it. He did. He asked if someone could tell him how the catheterization was going. And they gladly agreed to find out in potentially fatal cases such as Grace's. There was no agency that suppressed the chaplain's services. They provided liaison between the doctors and patients' families, as well as comfort and companionship when people face such anguish over the lives of their loved ones. Chaplain's office didn't call Garen back. When the staff came to find a middle-aged woman with short blonde hair who reminded him of Barbara, she wore the identity tag of the chaplain service, and her name was Nan. They're almost finished, she said gently. She's doing fine. Thank God, Karen said heavily. His eyes were tired. The cardiologist will be along to see you shortly, she said. They're discussing options. The decisions will depend on what they see in the catheterization. Is she taking blood thinners? Karen's face went wide. He didn't know. This was a question that my mean life and death for his wife. They didn't even know what medication she took. He was ashamed. Before he had to admit that he didn't know anything, Coltrane came down the hall with a man dressed in surgical greens. Karen walked to meet them with gas beside him. His eyes asked the question. What are you going to do? He added. This is Dr. Frank. Coltrane told him. Introduce him. 
This is Garen Greyer and his brother Cash. Garen is Grace's husband. Pleased to meet you. Sorry about the circumstances. Dr. Fred said as he shook hands. Expression was home. Dr. Coltrane has been giving me your wife's case history. Didn't know about her heart. She refused permission. Coltrane said to me, I couldn't tell him. Protecting you, was she? Dr. Fred said, Yes. He said, I lost my first wife and child to cancer when the baby was five months long. Grace knew. Gosh, keep him a wide-eyed stare. He had known that. It was an indicative of the distance that had existed between the brothers. Dr. Frank's a kind-hearted young woman. But now we must decide how best to proceed. He must realize that the child complication. Grace comes first. Karen interrupted. Dark eyes never. No matter what. Dr. Frank smiled. I'm hoping to save them both. We must decide whether it will be more stressful to induce labor than perform a cesarean section. Yeah, I tend to. Excuse me, he said, pulling out his cell phone. Spoken to him, listened, replied. That was Dr. Morris, our cardiologist. He's looking after your wife. She's gone into play labor. Please excuse me. I'm needed. She comes first. Garen repeated. Yes, the surgeon replied. I'll go along and do what I can to help. Coaching told Garen with an unusual kindness. He smiled at the captain. Who's day with him? Of course, Nam replied, smiling back. Cash cell phone rang. He excused himself and went outside the building where the reception was better. Garen watched the surgeon and the physician walk away, and his heart, his heart felt like a lead weight. Everything depended on him now, on medical science. But if Barbara was praying, there was a chance the prayer might help. He turned to the chapel. Is there a chapel? Yes, very quiet. She nodded. This way. He felt odd. Being in a chapel after all the long years, then he turned away from faith. After he lost Aronel, he never expected to lay, rely on it again. He prayed about Annalee. It hadn't saved her, but he was older now, less confident in science. He'd seen so much death. Today, he doubted himself. Remember the killer talking to him. Remember in a childhood that must have resembled hell. He would have killed Grace. Aaron had no choice, but the fire and hope this bull didn't miss. Now in the silence of the chapel, we felt the twin impact of Grace's desperate situation and reality that he'd taken a human life. Despite the situation, he had killed a man who struggled to try to cope with it now. There were counselors they could ask for through his office, and they would be, of course, there would, of course, be an investigation. He hadn't spoken to the sack, but he knew that he'd be on administrative leave while the shooting was investigated by both the county sheriffs, since the ranch was out of the center limits, and the FBI. He had no doubt that it would be sanctioned, but it was a complication he couldn't handle right now. All he wanted was Grace to live. He'd pampered her. He'd spoiled her on. He'd make up for all the missed dinners, all the thoughtless things he'd done, and had given her the idea he didn't care about her if only he had time. But only God could spare her. He'd been through this with victims' families. How many times had he gone to intensive care waiting room, talked to survivors, and heard them trying to park it for a loved one's life? I promise, never say anything hurtful again. If you'll just let her live, they would say aloud. I'll go to church every Sunday. I'll give to the poor. I'll volunteer time. I'll do charity work. I'll cut off my arm. If you just spare her, if you'll just spare her. If he can just let this person live. It was anguish to hear the promises, and now here he was, knowing himself, bargaining for Grace's life. But she was important. He prayed silently much more than he was. 
She was a nurturing woman. She was always cooking things for sick or bereaved people. Sitting with people in hospital rooms. <coughs> Excuse me. Going to church. Sharing herself with anyone who needed her. He wasn't like that. He was introvert when he wasn't on the job. Didn't mix well. And away he resented the fact that he had to marry Grace because of the child. He hadn't said so. Or he had. He, But as they lived together, he'd come and lay on a bright presence. Or calm his spirit or laughter. The face of problems. He could talk to Grace. So he'd never been able to talk to anyone else. Not even his first wife. Grace didn't argue or complain or resent his job. Early hadn't liked the hours he worked or his colleagues, and she hardly ever stopped complaining about his absences and the time she was missing from her job because she was pregnant. Since she became pregnant, she'd been clear-minded and sacrificed any free time with Garrett because she wanted to get ahead. She'd even worked Saturdays and evenings. They'd been grown apart because he was ambitious as well. They both assumed they had forever to make up their time together. Then she knew she had cancer, and she was terrified. Their last month together had been agony. She cried and apologized for being so hateful to him. Then she prayed, made promises, and tried to bargain for her life. She'd been a bad wife, but she changed. She could just live. She started going to church. She'd been a better person. She cared more for her family than her job. And so it went on. She couldn't bargain. He thought not ever. He could ask. Nothing more. He bowed his head and spoke to God. He didn't bargain. He just prayed for what was best for grace. End of chapter 15.